welcome to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. We are back today because World Cup fever is upon us. I'm here with Abdullah Abdullah. Abdullah, are you getting super excited at this point? We're a week out, basically. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that July is, is the end of July is creeping up on us so fast. And the next what next Thursday, Friday is 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 when the World Cup kicks off, depending on where you are. And um, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, like it's I think I think it didn't hit me as much earlier. Like I was like, yeah, okay, cool, World Cup's coming. And then now we're getting close. I'm like, all right, the World Cup's coming up. This is this is gonna be hype. So kind of really excited for it. Yeah, I fly on Wednesday, and I am so deeply unprepared. I can't even express it, but we're just rolling with it. I'm just going to get there and try and go to England, (laughs) Haiti, which is the first game I'm going to, and and we'll take it from there. Um, But obviously, throughout the summer, we want to keep you updated on all 19 of the Chelsea players who are heading to Australia and New Zealand as part of their national squads. Yes, it is 19 players. It is the most. Sorry, Barcelona fans, we are depriving you of that trophy. Um, but we're going to start today with, with groups A and D. So we will focus on the, the Chelsea players, but we'll talk a little bit around, obviously, the context of the groups they're playing in. But just before we get into that, um, there's been quite a few things that have happened around Chelsea this sort of week that we haven't had a chance to talk through. So we'll start with all of that because, obviously, as excited as we are for the World Cup, we don't want anyone to be missing out on what's actually happening at Chelsea. I think the key thing to start with, Abdullah, is the announcement the next season there will be seven guaranteed matches at Stamford Bridge. That's going to be four WSL games, three Champions League group stage games. Then obviously any further Champions League games, if, if we were to get out of the group stage, they would also be played at Stamford Bridge. So it's a minimum of seven. In the past, I think Emma Hayes and the players have been not resistant, that's maybe the wrong word, but very cautious about playing at Stamford Bridge, very... Um, concerned about making sure there's there's the right atmosphere, that the players are comfortable there, that they're familiar there, not wanting to risk bigger games there. Um, obviously, the use of VAR in uh, Champions League knockout stages sort of forced Chelsea's hand. I actually believe Kings Meadow wasn't even UA for compliant for Champions League group stage games before, so I wonder if their hand's also been a bit forced on that one for this year too. But what do you think has changed? Because obviously there has been a big thing kind of coming out of the club that they they feel like this is what they really want to push. They're saying, you know, this is in line with the growth of the women's game. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's down to a couple of things. I think one is that we've seen kind of the growth and the popularity of the game that Stamford Bridge, I mean, at least against Barcelona, was 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 filling out. I mean, we we had a decent decent turnout for those games, and I think I think the popularity of that. And especially with the fact that we have a World Cup coming up and usually any time after a major tournament, you know, the interest, you know, for, for those countries that do play you know, with women's football, I think that that starts to increase as well. And that kind of maybe trickles into the season a little a little by little. And every major tournament that I think we seem to get through, we seem to get more and more fans coming through. And I think the WSL games and the Champions League games, I think just because of the fact that I think they they looked at last year's numbers, I think, and, and the popularity that had and I think because Chelsea have played more and more games at Stamford Bridge kind of over the years, you kind of then become used to playing there to some small extent. Yes, I know. And, you know, Emma Hayes has talked about in the past, like you said, wanting that smaller pitch, playing at Kings Meadow where they're used to everything. But I think with the way the game's going and the way we're we're looking at things now is 
the use of the bigger stadiums is going to become a lot more of a regular thing. And I think we have seven games guaranteed, plus potentially, you know, three, four more, depending on the Champions League. That You know, this next season, it could be nine. It could be 10 after that. And then you slowly start getting to a point where you are playing a lot more games at the bigger stadiums. And I think having to have that progression and getting used to playing in the bigger stadiums to accommodate the larger number of people and the revenue streams that, that, that comes with it, I think from a club perspective, I think is important. And, you know, we've seen the international players playing, at, you know, when, when they do play at these major tournaments, they play at your Wembleys and, and, and your, your Old Traffords and your, your big stadiums where you are regularly hosting 30, 40, 50,000 people. So, you know, playing at playing at Stamford Bridge where while the, the capacity is circa 42,000 people, you know, games of Barcelona-type games are going to sell out to at least 30,000, 35,000 minimum, which, which, is, which is a really good turnout. And, you know, if you can get those regular, those numbers regularly next season, then I can see why it's a justifiable reason to move there because then a lot more people want to see the higher profile games. And I'm assuming the WSL games will be, again, those, those, those bigger fixtures against your Arsenals, your Manchester United cities, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, that will be interesting to see um, because obviously the the WSL games Chelsea have tried to schedule at Stamford Bridge in the past has been there's been two Tottenham games obviously so there was that one in the COVID season so nineteen twenty that the one where Beth England scored that screamer and then nothing else happened obviously we were meant to play West Ham there at the start of the season that got cancelled because the Queen died um, and then we did play Tottenham there um, and kind of thrashed them so historically it feels like Chelsea have shied away from the bigger games which is kind of the opposite of say what an Arsenal have done and proceeded to sort of lose to Manchester United and draw with Chelsea at the Emirates so I can see either way that you know you don't want to you don't want to hold games there and then lose and maybe turn people off but equally obviously there's much more of a draw to go and see an Arsenal or a City game um, than there is to go and watch Leicester Um, and I think this will be very interesting because of the context of which this has been announced is that Chelsea have said they're going to do a variety of different season ticket packages for as a result of this so there's going to be well there is it's now on sale one for the Stamford Bridge matches, specifically the four WSL games at Stamford Bridge, one for Champions League matches, um, presumably just the three group stage games as as a package, and then one for Kings Meadow matches, all of which are quite heftily priced. So let's just start. I think this is a complicated topic, but for, for context, the Stamford Bridge one, for example, £70 for four games is sort of the minimum, all the way up to £170. That's if you're in Westview, which is like sort of Chelsea's version of, of club, I guess. Um, I sat there for the Barcelona game. It was very, very nice. I must say, I've not sat there before. Um, but the key problem with this, Abdullah, is you don't. if we don't know what the games are, I'm like, I'm loath to get a Stamford Bridge season ticket. And I will do it, obviously. But like, I was just looking at today and I was like, there's so much difference between paying, let's say like 130, like that sort of middle price to see United, Arsenal, City and Villa but I could also, for that price, get Leicester, Bristol, Liverpool and, and Spurs. So that kind of feels like, from the from just a marketing perspective, a bit of an odd choice by the club. Yeah, it, it is It is such a gamble. I mean, uh, I mean, if, 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 
for you guys that that want to go there, it's 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 a tough one, yeah, because you could get four fantastic games, and then you maybe would have thought, you know what, maybe I had to spend 150 pounds to watch City, Arsenal, United, and Villa rather than going to watch Leicester, Bristol, Everton, and I don't know, like Spurs or something, right? You would be saying, okay, maybe I want to want to spend like 90 pounds on that. So it's weird that they're, and I probably you can answer this better than I can, but. Did they ha- did they have to announce these things this now? Could they not have waited for the fixture list to kind of maybe be sorted behind the scenes and then announce it along with the key? Because I mean, like you said, from a marketing perspective, if they know these are the games that are that are coming up in in the season and they kind of know then when Stamford Bridge is going to be free, they could have along with the season ticket go. All right, you know what? Here are the packages. Here are the you know the big four WSL games that you can go and watch and kind of advertise it that way. From now. You kind of then drum up the interest from now and get people to be committing their money now rather than, you know, being 50-50 and then kind of maximizing revenue kind of up front rather than keeping it to a to a guessing game where people some people may pay the 120, 130, 170, but then you maybe you have a majority of people paying the 70. And then, you know, when you do announce it, the people be like, oh, well, maybe we can't change it now. So it is a very confusing strategy for me. And also considering the fact that you've kind of got a lot of big stars now in the squad, right? And then you, you, you'd you think that along with the big names that have come in and the players that are there and the popularity that they will have, plus that they will grow from the World Cup. And if you can pair them up with the right number of games or the right type of games, it is just such an easy way to maximize revenue by getting more people to pay maybe 100 plus pounds, 110 plus pounds on, on those four games rather than keeping them guessing and going, well, I'm going to buy like yourself. Like you're going to buy it anyway, but it's a matter of do I pay 130? Do I pay 70? Do I pay 90? I don't know. I'll buy something and then we'll figure it out. So to me, I, f- I feel like it's it's just a missed opportunity by just not waiting maybe a little bit and then getting the games kind of with it together. Yeah, I guess part of the problem is is this idea of sort of splitting it out from from King's Meadow season tickets and, and how that kind of works in in sort of allowing people to renew their season tickets but understand sort of what they're paying for. So I feel like that's why they have to announce it before the fixture list. I think their problem is is that if you're if it was like an Arsenal context, you have that past history which tells you, okay, Arsenal pick the big games. I think the issue they have is we know Chelsea haven't done that. And maybe that will change the season, but you've got no sort of proof that that will happen. Um, I think the other thing that feels like a shame, Abdullah, is that it's almost like we're missing the opportunity to get people into Stamford Bridge who don't normally get to go. Like, on for men's games, getting going to Stamford Bridge is quite difficult to get a ticket for and also incredibly, incredibly expensive. And obviously these tickets aren't being priced quite at the level of the men's game, but especially if you're looking at, like, going as a group, whether it's as a family or a group of friends, you know, these things do add up quite quickly. And it just feels like maybe that could start to have a bit of a negative impact on attendances, given that we've not actually sort of truly sold Stamford Bridge out. Like, I know we've had bigger attendances, you know, around that Spurs game, but it doesn't really feel like they that we've created over the past couple of years. And and I think COVID's had a role role with this. And I think Chelsea men are being shit have had a role to do with this. But we've not created that sort of match going Stamford Bridge audience. Do you do you feel like the club's ready to sort of like hike prices? I, I, I think I totally agree with you with the um with the men not really creating the hype. And and I feel like there was an advantage. There was a there was a chance there for the club as a whole to kind of then 
with the women women winning so many of the games, winning the title, you know, the double, and, and and going so you know in the Champions League, to to kind of make Stamford Bridge a place to also be known as all right when the women go there as well and they win, it's like it's a, it's a good place to go and when you have the better games to play. And I mean to be I mean to be fair, I think. If Chelsea are worried, if the club are worried about Chelsea playing against an Arsenal or City or United in, in, in Stamford Bridge, you can always look at their past history of the results that they have against those sort of teams. We generally end up being on top of them. Like, yeah, there might be a couple of draws, but they're entertaining games in general. We win most of the time. So there is enough justifiable evidence to say, hey... Um, you know, uh, we uh, you know we could put up a couple of these big games and know that there's a very good chance that we end up winning because that's just kind of what Chelsea have been doing. And you know, I mean, around the world you're looking at a cost of living crisis as well, and that you know the the prices are going up, and generally around the world, and 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 there's a, you know the potential recession, and so people's disposable income is becoming less and less. And with these prices going up, people then have to kind of decide, like you said, in groups, it becomes a lot more of a a discussion point of okay, do we commit X amount of money to go to a game when you have prices going up, unknown fixtures at least now, you know, and kind of not creating that you said that 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 sort of reputation and vibe of like okay, Chelsea and Stamford Bridge is a place to go for for the for the women's matches and and you know you can you can get a good time. I think putting all that together, it does kind of feel like a weird time to be mixing these sort of things. Like there's the opportunities there. But they could have done a lot better groundwork to make this work now. Like maybe if they this season decided, okay, we'll keep the prices as they are, or maybe a slight increase, and then bring in the big games and you do, and keep this as like a, a foundation for next season. Then yeah, great, fantastic. Then you can probably justify the higher cost. But unless they're not going to bring like Villa, Everton, City, and United, let's say, or, or Arsenal next season to Stamford Bridge, I really don't see how people will be willing to part ways with 100, 120 pounds a person, you know, to go and watch like a game against Brighton or, or Leicester at Stamford Bridge. I just, I just don't see it. Yeah. And I mean, uh, the women, Charles Women's Sports Group kind of echoing one of, one of your points there saying, we are aware of the unexpectedly sharp increase in season ticket prices for the upcoming season and would like to acknowledge that the increase along with the short notice will affect many loyal match going fans. We are listening to our members in the wider fan base. We object to such a large increase happening over one season. We had said to the club that any increase should be spread over several seasons. We also believe the club should have put financing in place like they do for men's season tickets as families in a cost of living crisis will now need to find a large amount of money or lose out on having a season ticket at all. It is, I think, also important to say that, that Chelsea are going to put season tickets on for Kings Meadow on sale for the first time since 2021. So there haven't been new season tickets available um, for the past couple of years there. So... It will also be, you know, that is also going to affect kind of pricing because it's almost like prices were inadvertently, uh, like demand hasn't really been reflected in, in the past couple of years. And I think it will be, hopefully that will contribute to sort of the King's Meadow atmosphere as well, because I think it's been very clear in sort of the past season that not all season tickets, not all season ticket holders take up their season tickets and the club are also going to have a ticket exchange as well. Something that Arsenal are looking to do too. So yeah, I think the pricing thing, it's a, it's a really complicated thing. I understand why the club wants to place more value on it. And I do feel like sort of historically, maybe the it has been undervalued. You know, it's kind of, it, in some ways it's good. Like, it's great that you can go to King's Meadow for a tenner, but like West Ham charge like £15. And West Ham are shit. I hate watching West Ham. Um, 
so I think it's one of those things whereby ultimately stuff has to change at some point. Stuff has, is going to get more expensive, as, as frustrating as that is. I think the problem is 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 maybe I think it'll be interesting to see how this Stamford Bridge Kings Meadow split works out because I'm personally am not sure if this has been quite the right way to go about it. Uh, let's just move on to talking about our first pre-season pre friendly being announced. Chelsea will take on Roma at Kings Meadow on Sunday the 30th of September at 8 o'clock kickoff time. Very strange kickoff time for a Sunday. Um, two weeks after the World Cup final, this one. A uh, big turnaround uh, for anyone there. I assume anyone who gets very far will not be present in this game. So I guess opportunity for some of the players who will have been at home during the World Cup, players who maybe go out of the group stage. But I think this is a really fun pre-season game to get to play. Yeah, uh, Roma are a decent opposition. They're they're a decent side. And, 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 you know, it'll be a good test for kind of the the fringe players kind of who maybe he's been sitting at home or you know the players that got out early to get them back into fitness and uh it won't be exactly be a walk in the park they've got some decent players themselves so i'm i'm, I'm looking forward to it yeah it's a pretty quick turnaround but you know at the end of the day preseason needs to start you know a month after that if not they'll, they'll be kicking kicking off uh the new season so yeah I, I i like this i think it's a it's a good test and 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 hopefully it, it kicks off a, a decent couple of friendly games so that the team is back in good fitness for the for the season yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to it i don't know if this just is how starved i am of chelsea women that but i already feel like super excited and i'm literally about to go to the world cup but that is just how much i miss chelsea women um just finally, before we get into some more of the World Cup stuff, uh, Chelsea have completed the signing of 18-year-old English defender Brooke Aspin from Bristol City with the centre-back returning there on loan for the 23-24 campaign. Four-year deal for Aspin, um, which I think is a big you know, vote of, of confidence in her. Uh, we talked about Aspin and sort of Chelsea's youth policy in, in an episode uh, a couple of weeks ago. So if, if you want to go, it was it came out on 22nd of June, World Women's Football episode. Um, Chelsea cradle snatching, I think I called it. Uh, so go back and listen to that if you want to hear us talk a bit more about Aspen. She's obviously adding to the lone army, so she'll be one we'll keep an eye on next season. Um, we'll take a little ad break here and come back with you in just a second to talk about groups A and B. Okay, here we go. World Cup fun Let's do it. Uh, we have a lot of players, as we said at the start of the show, to talk through. So we are going to split this in two. We'll do groups A to D today, groups E to H later in the week for you. Let's start with group A. Uh, New Zealand, Norway, Switzerland and the Philippines. Obviously, Chelsea interest predominantly focused on Norway uh, with Marimielda and Guru Wrighton uh, featuring their... Let's talk about those two players, Abdullah, because and the and the roles they might play. Um, Guru, in particular, obviously coming off maybe her best season as a as a professional footballer, going into an international team which has ultimately, I think, disappointed in recent years. Um, but going to play as part of the maybe the best attacking trio at the World Cup, you know, playing on the left with Hegerberg uh, as the striker, Caroline Graham Hansen as the right winger. What do you make of sort of Norway and their recent performances? Obviously, we've just had the one-year anniversary of England beating them 8-0 at the Euros. Do you think, you know, they've changed management since then, Hegerisa back in charge. Do you think this is, this World Cup will be an opportunity for them to sort of turn it around? I think so. I think I think after what happened last year, and especially, like you said, the the result from a year ago, almost to the day, 
I don't think they're going to let that happen again. I, I think I think there are too many big mentality players in that side for it to happen for an executive um, international tournament. And I think for them, they're almost probably, you know, happy that there is there's such a quick turnaround between when they played at the Euros and now coming into a World Cup back to back. You know, it's, it's very rare that this happens. I mean, you look at the last couple of results, right? They had a 3-3 against Norway, uh, sorry, against Sweden in April. Then they lost four two against Spain in the same in the same month earlier, and then they had a they had a draw against um, France in the, in the turn to France final like, you know, across ninety minutes. So mixed results, obviously coming into it. But I think if you look at the team that's playing, you know they've got some world class players, and like you said, I think Gura Ryden probably playing her best season kind of then elevates her into that status of being one of the top players for for Norway, especially in that attack. And and when you have Ada Guro and, and and Graham Hansen and then you have you know Frida Manen playing in that midfield who's also coming back off of a really good season for Arsenal. Um, you've got a really dangerous attack over there and and it's it's a matter of if the four of them can click and and kind of play together, which is always the question is can you get four world class players who play amazing for their club sides? Can they can they do it together at an international level and I, I think I think this is this is the time. I think I think they will they will they will they will have everything that happened last year fresh in their minds, and I think they will they will have a point to prove. And I think once the team has a point to prove, um, it's very rare that they they will they will let standards drop and go there. And I think there are just too many big players in there um, for that to happen, especially when you have like you know we talk about Marin Mielda starting and playing at centre back. Starting from there, up you know, up the spine, up until other Hegelberg, you've got players that are like, all right, you know, we are, you know, we're we're too we're too good to to play that poorly. And I think both Guru and Marin have, I mean, Marin's been there for a while, but I think Guru's now elevated herself into one of those senior pros and the ones that'll that'll be a match winner for for Norway. Yeah, I think it will be really interesting. I don't feel very hot on Norway. I want to, but I just I haven't really ever enjoyed Hegarista as a manager. Um, mainly when she was managing England. Uh, and they also kind of went into the Euros thinking almost no matter how bad Norway might seem, they'll get bailed out by their front three. And, you know, it wasn't only the England loss, that was one thing, but, like, they didn't even make it out of the group. So I do think this group feels relatively kind for them. Um, I think they probably... Well, I was going to say they'll probably top it, but recently I've been getting big on Switzerland. I think Switzerland could top it. Uh, but I think Norway will get out of it at the very least. I think the, the Marimielda thing will be really interesting. I think, obviously, you know, at the Euros, she hadn't really played much football, and I think you could kind of tell that she didn't really... That back line wasn't very settled. Obviously... She had a much better end to the season at Chelsea. She played in a load of really important games. I think she'll clearly be a lot more match fit. And I guess especially, I think, in a group stage, that probably should be enough to get them through, even if, you know, the rest of their back line is a little bit shaky. It's just so funny to me that they can have such a an amazing attacking line um, and then really struggle in the sort of the development of other players, of defensive players. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting uh, for them. I hope, I hope they do well because I'd really like guru to maybe get a bit more recognition she missed this season you know we've seen what international tournaments can do for players like the focus on beth mead off the back of a euros when she played a pretty like average season for arsenal was was insane um 
and it would be cool to see something similar happen to Guru. But I think, yeah, a lot of that will will depend on on how they actually look and maybe how well they can fend. Because I definitely think at the Euros we saw that they just they just couldn't get the ball to them, so it didn't really matter like how good they were. Uh, okay, Abdullah, I've kind of said that for this group that I think um, Switzerland might top it. They're going to be my dark horses. I'm I'm backing ex Chelsea player Ramona Backman to to get the job done. Uh, what do you think? Do you think Norway will top it? Yeah, I, at this point, I have to say no way of top right. I've said so much about them. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give I'll give Norway the edge. I, I like Switzerland, and I'm not gonna lie, I do like them. I think they've got some really good players: Jamaili, Bachmann, Kernogorsovic. I think they've got they've got a decent team there that that can that can cause some problems. Yeah, I think I think I'll go Norway, Switzerland as as the top two, and and then we go from there. All right. Uh, yeah, that'll, that'll be an interesting one to see. That Norway-Switzerland game in particular, I think, will be a lot of fun. Uh, let's move on to Group B. Um, Australia, Canada, Nigeria and Ireland. I think this is one of the most fun groups in the tournament. Um, unfortunately, I think for kind of Canada, Nigeria and Ireland, they all have stuff going on behind the scenes, which maybe makes this World Cup a bit more complicated for them. But there's lots of, obviously, Chelsea interest in this group. Let's start with Australia. Let's start with Sam. Obviously, a massive, massive tournament for her, captaining Australia at her home World Cup. There's going to be a lot of expectation on her shoulders. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you, 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 she. I think she said it herself today or yesterday that how you know you, you don't get the opportunity to, to to play in a home World Cup or a home major tournament all the time, and especially for someone like you know from from Australia, it, it doesn't come around very often, and so. I think for her, she sees this as a once and probably a lifetime experience and, and chance to kind of do well. And um, you talked about Switzerland being your dark. I think I think for me, Australia are my dark horses for this tournament. I, I really think Sam Kerr leading the line, and then they've got players like Mary Fowler, Caitlin Ford, um, Kylie Cooney Cross. I mean, they've they've got some really decent players in there that I don't think um, that I think could really cause some problems. Sam is probably the best striker in the world right now, like hands down. And, and, and you know, she said herself, I just need one opportunity and I'll, and I'll put it away. And, you know, you back Sam Kerr to do that. And in a World Cup, I mean, if I remember correctly, four years ago, she scored like a hat-trick in one game and then she ended up having like four or five, six goals in the tournament. And they, they got to the, after the, after the group stages. And Sam Kerr can do that for you. If, if she can lead the way and, and, and repeat that sort of goal tally, I can see Australia going far because I think they have a far stronger team now than they did four years ago in 2019. So I think Australia want to look out for. I think they're one of the, maybe maybe not at the level of France were at the time, being a host nation, being a really good, you know, a team with that much quality. But I think Australia can can hold their own and, 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 and you know, I think they can really cause some problems going deep into the tournament. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think what I like for Australia at this tournament is two things, one of which Sam spoke about the other day, and I think you kind of just hinted at, was was this idea that she's really focused on having and taking one opportunity. And in the past, we kind of would joke that Sam was a player who she'd create five opportunities and she'd score two of them because she needed a couple. And I do think that is something that's really changed in her game. And I feel like we really benefited from that this season and we talked about it, you know, that look, she didn't score as much in the WSL. We kind of know she scored the exact same overall, but she didn't score as much in the WSL, but the goals she was scoring were like extra, extra clutch. And she's always been a clutch player, to be fair. Um, but I feel like that has changed a lot for her. And I think what that means for Australia is that even if players mark Sam, that you don't need to feel like 
you need to find another solution. Maybe you just accept that and say, okay, but she's probably still going to get one chance. And what I also think that does is maybe that takes the pressure off other players in terms of freaking out. And I think, you know, we've really seen players like Caitlin Ford, I think, go to another level this season. I thought she had a really, really great season when fit. Hayley Rasso hasn't played so much, but I think, it, you know, it's still someone who always looks like a threat. The, the youngsters in Fowler and Kyla, Kyra Cross are just fantastic, fantastic players. And I hope they get they get minutes. Um, obviously, another WSL player who I thought had a very good season was Mackenzie Arnold, who might start in goal, I guess. It's always very hard to guess with Australia. So I agree with you. I think they are real dark horses. I really like them as a team. They can blow a bit hot and cold. You know, obviously that the England win, which everyone would be like, look at how good Australia is. They did lose to Scotland in the game before. So, you know, I don't think it's like quite that simple. It's like they can beat all the best teams. Um, but yeah, and I guess similar to what we were saying about Guru, like... Sam is really still missing that like international recognition and um, equally, yeah, I think a good international tournament for her would maybe pretty firmly uh, put her in up the Ballon d'Or favourites. And I guess also another good Chelsea benefit she got this season is she's always had a bit of, um, uh, I don't know, negativity maybe hanging over her from her penalty shootout loss for, with Australia and her miss there. But hey, look, she scored the penalty against Leon, so maybe now she's ready to be clutch in penalty shootouts. Uh, coming up against her will be uh, the sort of kind of Chelsea light team, or like you know the team aside from England with the most uh, Chelsea players at this tournament, basically Canada. So obviously we've got Jesse Fleming, Kadisha Buchanan, and Ashley Lawrence, newbie, uh, all showing up for Canada. Uh, what do you make of this side, Abdullah? Obviously uh, Olympic gold medalists, but they don't really feel like a team who are still taken that seriously internationally. Yeah, I, th I think they've blown hot and cold. I mean, like you said, they've had the the success of the gold medal at the Olympics. They beat Sweden in, and arguably that, that game, they were underdogs. Sweden were really expected to win that game against Canada and, and kind of the way they were showing form. And then Canada came through and, and kind of won it. Um yeah, I don't know. I think I think they're one of those teams that 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 you know we we talk sort of um, uh, about some other teams that have these high profile players that like you get your Jesse Flemings, Kadisha Buchanan's, Ashley Lawrence's, and it's just there's they're they're just kind of inconsistent for me. They like they have games where they look like world beaters, and then they have games where they they just they just look like they've they've never played with each other before. And I think I think it comes down to um. This comes down to a little bit of consistency. I think I think the players kind of, to some extent, I think they play they play in different positions for their national team than they do for their for their club sides, right? So you have like someone like Ashley Lawrence, um, who plays fullback for a club, whether it's for PSG and then obviously now for, for Chelsea, and then I think she plays as almost like a, an attacking midfielder winger for for, for Canada, right? She, she wears the number ten, um, and to me that that. Maybe doesn't make too much of a difference, but then at the same time, you're like, I I'm sure it does because if for the entirety of a season or a year, you're playing in one position consistently, and then suddenly for your club, you have to go and switch and play something completely different. As much as you can be a national at the position, it does it does change the way you play, and then you have to get used to playing it again for maybe like a week or ten days, and then you go back to playing a completely different position, right? Um, and again, they're another team that has. Probably has a lot of potential. So you look at someone like Julia Grosso, plays for Juventus. You look at Jordan Heidema. Um, you know you have players like this who have Evelyn Viennes as well, Jade Revere. These players have so much potential. It's they've not maybe 
lived it yet. They've not lived up to their potential to the to the what everybody expects. And I think maybe once that kicks in and and these players sort of show up and and start being a bit more consistent, then I think they they could probably do a they could probably do a better job. But there's no doubt that Canada have quality, and I think Ash Lawrence probably their best play to an extent right i would i would think she's their best best player in that team um you could argue Kadisha Buchanan and Vanessa Gillet uh are up there as well in terms of in terms of names but yeah i, I was Ashley Lawrence and um yeah I, I think i think they've got a good blend of experience and 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 youth but i think it's just time for the youth to kind of maybe step up because there may be a few more of those potential players and once they kick i mean if i mean imagine if they had Jordan Heidema, Jesse Fleming, Grosso, Lawrence Buchanan, Gillet all kick on. Then and even Chloe Lacasse, the new striker at, at Arsenal, they all kick on. Then that team suddenly becomes a world class team with with unbelievable talent. So yeah, I think it just comes down to consistency and players realizing their potential. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. I think especially for both Fleming and Buchanan, who I would say had mixed seasons at Chelsea. Uh, this could be a, a great opportunity, I think, for them to, again, pick up some minutes. Like, these are players who will start for Canada. I don't think they have any doubt in their minds about that. And that's that's always a good feeling, especially maybe, you know, if you're a Fleming and you're not really sure about if you're, if you're getting enough starts for, for Chelsea. Um, I always think Fleming looks way better playing for Canada than she ever does for Chelsea anyway, which maybe is, is an interesting thing for Chelsea to think about and, you know, why they aren't getting the best out of her. In that sense, um, I think it'll be, it'll be a really interesting. It'll be really interesting to see how Canada line up as well. I feel like I really don't have a good sense of how exactly Bev Priestman, you know, who she prefers, who she wants to play, and, and that's always quite interesting to see. Obviously, those two teams coming up against Nigeria and Katie McCabe's Ireland. You have to call Ireland Katie McCabe's Ireland at this point because that's all anyone ever talks about. I do think both of those teams have the potential to cause upsets, maybe not to get out of the group, but potentially to take points off Australia or Canada. Abdullah, who who do you see as topping this group? And who do you see crucially as coming second? Because that's who could potentially be playing England in the round of 16. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Australia definitely topped the group for me. I think I think they're I think they've got the quality and 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 the, and the, and the chemistry, I think more importantly, to 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 beat Canada in Nigeria and Ireland. So I, I don't see a problem there. Oh, who comes second? I still think I think Canada have enough quality. I think the quality for the group relative to what they're in, I think carries them to the second place. So maybe you know, maybe maybe a Nigeria, for example, or an Ireland takes takes a point off them. But I think there's enough for I think there's enough there for Canada to to, to kind of scrape through and, and and get enough points to come second. The next round after that, I think, is a it's a, it's a tough gig for for Canada, regardless of who they face in, in in the next round, because I think I think teams after that start becoming a little bit more superior than them. Though maybe so maybe to an extent, player for player, they have really good players. But again, it comes down to that consistent co- cohesion. I mean, if Canada have a really good group stage, and you know, and they and they 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 beat Nigeria and Ireland convincingly, and maybe take a draw off Australia, for example, then you have a then you have a, a chance to, to see a, a better fight from Canada. But yeah, I, I think it's Australia and Canada for me for a second. Yeah, I, I think I would agree. Um, I definitely think, you know, if Canada could rack up some good scores against Nigeria and Ireland, maybe that would change stuff because I feel like part of the the 
thing that Canada are missing is that fear factor that they'll score a lot of goals. I think teams probably feel like if they could get one or two at them, they're normally going to be in a good position because they're not very free scoring. Um, but, you know, maybe if, if, Niger- if they could show against Nigeria and Ireland, they can do that, that would, that would feel a, a little bit different. But, yeah, I, I think it will be... I think Australia will just be too strong, especially with the home advantage. I think there's a lot of players on that team who... Sam especially, who really, really thrive off those those kind of crowds. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that group. Uh, we will take another ad break here, but we'll be back to talk Group C and D after this. So, Group C. Only got one Chelsea player as part of this group, and I think she's the Chelsea player who everyone was fighting over whether she counted uh, for our total. It is... Micah Hamano going with Japan. Very exciting for her, I think, to, to have made the squad. Real sort of evidence of Japan's changing of the guard, lead, leaving out players like Mana Ibuchi, who honestly probably on form and quality didn't deserve to be going, and, and giving younger players like Hamano a chance. Uh, they're in a group with Costa Rica, Spain, and Zambia. Very interesting group, this one, Abdullah, because let's just start with Japan. Obviously, winners in 2011 um, have a fantastic sort of pedigree in the, in the recent history of this competition, but maybe in recent years have become a bit more of a duller team. But we've seen in the WSL in particular, right, um, this really exciting crop of younger Japanese players come through. Yui Hasegawa, obviously, sort of the standout name, but Fuku Nagano, someone who looked really good at Liverpool when she came in in January. Risa Shimizu, who also kind of had a quietly nice season at West Ham, I thought. Um, so what what do you kind of make of Japan and, and where they stand? I think Mike is kind of an interesting question here because I don't know realistically how much she'll start. I'd obviously love to see her get some minutes. I think on form, she probably deserves it, but might not be someone we actually see a lot of this tournament. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think, I think, I think the coach would have watched. Her, I mean, I, I honestly think that if if she didn't have the season that she did for Hammerby in, in in you know over the last few months, I think Ibabuchi would have probably made the squad regardless of her form and 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 kind of the way she ended the season at at, at Spurs. Um, but I think because of such a good season, you know, scoring the goals that she scored, the performances, and the way she kind of blended in with with the with the players at Hammerby, I think it just kind of forced the, the coach to go, right, well, I can't drop a player who's in such good form versus a player who's really not been performing that well, regardless of experience. And I think the rest of the squad had the requisite experience to be able to, to, to accommodate a Mike Hamano, who's almost like this wonder kid coming through. So I think probably probably on that question, I think I think there is a chance. I think we see, I think Hamano might come on as like a first, second change in maybe the 60, 70 minutes. So I think maybe we see her play in the first game or two, like 20, 25 minute cameos, and she can impress there. I don't I don't see a reason why she maybe can't start like the third group stage game. Um, which I think becomes uh becomes a good point. It's it's I think tradi- yeah, like you said, I think traditionally Japan have been obviously a very, very good team. They've had a lot of pedigree in this tournament. Um they've won it obviously and they've had, you know, players in the past you you, you look at like Saki Kuma guys and, and, and players like that who have really, you know, established a legacy in this sort of side and you know, Japan have made a name for themselves of, of, of a very hardworking team who've, who've really grafted through and, and, and obviously produced results. I don't know how they'll do this season. Like, I think the players you mentioned, um, Yui Hasegawa and, and, and Co., I think they've had really good seasons for, for Manchester City, West Ham, Liverpool. Um, and I think they've they've surprised more than most. It just depends on whether those four or five players um, that have been in good form, both on WSL and outside, can really, you know, carry them through. And I'm, I think their group's not 
too bad. I mean, they've got Costa Rica, Spain, and Zambia. But, you know, I look at that, and, and, and obviously we saw what Zambia did against Germany recently in the friendly. But there's a very good chance that they could take points of Zambia and Costa Rica. And, and, and you know what? I think they could give Spain a really good game. It's not out of the realm of possibility that that, that Japan maybe, you know, come top. And then and, and you have someone like Maika Hamanu, who's like probably this... I think she's like the... She's like a trump card. She's a wild card. She can come in and 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 if if there's nothing to lose in the last twenty minutes, or they need to change the game somehow and chasing it, you throw on your player who's been scoring goals in 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 club form and and kind of see what happens. Because if you need a goal, that doesn't doesn't harm them to send her on for twenty minutes and see what happens. Yeah, definitely. I think she'll she'll be a really exciting player if she do, she does get minutes. She could be someone who could make a real difference for them. Obviously. Zambia are a team who have made headlines. You, you referenced their their win over Germany. Very exciting team. I think they could be really, really fun to watch. And lowest ranked team at the tournament, but I don't think they're going to be lowest ranked in terms of, you know, boring. I think we're going to see fun regardless of what happens. I think they'll concede a lot of goals, but they might score a lot of goals as well. Spain, obviously an interesting one, you know, missing out on, on a number of players who haven't gone to the tournament. Mappy Leon, Patrick Guiara, Claudia Pina all big names from Barcelona who've who've refused to go out sort of protest of the manager Jorge Vilda, but equally players like Aitana, Alexia in the team. Um, so that'll be an interesting one to see. Do you think Spain top it? Abdullah, they probably are the favourites in this group, sort of regardless of the players who they're missing right now. That might only come to bite them later in the competition. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I think they've still got the requisite quality. I mean, when you still have players like Alexia and Aitana still playing, and and, and if Jenny Hermoso's there and 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 whatnot, then um, I don't I don't think you can go wrong in, in in most group stage games. So yeah, I think Spain will come out on top, and then I'll give Japan second place. All right, yeah, I think I will I will agree with that. I'd love to do, see Zambia do something absolutely bonkers, but I don't think it will happen. Let's finish off then today with Group D. This is England's group, and so therefore the group with the most Chelsea representation. Five Chelsea players, part of this England squad, seeing as we have picked up Hannah Hampton. So Hampton, Millie Bright, Captain Millie Bright, we should say, Captain Leader Legend Millie Bright, Neve Charles, Jess Carter, and Lauren James, all in Australia for England. Uh, Abdullah, of those five players, five Chelsea players, who do you think is most likely to shine brightest at the tournament? I think you referenced there in your amazing pun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think Millie Bright, if fit, uh, it's probably the standout player from that bunch. I mean, if if she's fit and she's starting, then you know you can always count on Millie Bright to give you an 8 out of 10 performance I think that's what we can expect now that every game she'll give you like an 8 out of 10 minimum um but let's assume for a second just to make it interesting that Millie Bright isn't fit and let's say she doesn't start the first game or something I'm 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 kind of hot on Jess Carter doing doing really really well stepping into this thing I think she's really grown this season um and I feel like she's She's kind of made that step and she's ready to to kind of perform at the highest level and really show what she's, she's you know, her, her development and, and kind of step in there because I feel like she is probably going to get a starting role somewhere in the back four. Um, and if that's the case, and I think for me, it's 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 Jess Carter. Lauren James, again, live wire, probably, you know, you expect her to do decently well, and but you know we've seen her fade in and out of games. But I think Jess Cott's for me the one that's going to shine brightest. And and low key, I think I think Neve Charles can really impress in the minutes that she is given. I think I think she's one of those players that you can throw on, 
you know, with, with 10, 15 minutes to go, you need somebody with legs to either play at fullback or an attacking position. And I think, I think she can do that. But for me, it's, it's, I think it's just Carter if, if Millie Bright isn't fit. Yeah, it'd it be an interesting one. I, I'm very intrigued to see if Millie does start that first game. She is back in, in full team training and has been since they arrived in Australia, which was last week, I believe. They've been there for a week now. I think they flew on Wednesday, so maybe actually they only landed on Thursday or Friday. I'm not exactly sure when, but um, it, they do play Canada in a behind-closed-doors friendly for plenty of Chelsea content there, but we won't really be able to see what happens. So maybe Millie will get minutes there and that will give her opportunity to start Haiti the first game. So in some ways potentially one where she wouldn't have much to do. Um, I think I will disagree with you on standout player because I think LJ might do it. I think she'll be the one who's going to attract a lot of attention. I feel like, you know, in that Portugal game, they played uh, ahead of ahead of the start of the, the tournament. She, even though it was a draw, she was definitely the one who excelled the most. It looked even better at the 10 as she did on the right wing. And I think... James is just a player who maybe needed a bit of a time to rest up and seems to be really thriving from having had that time. She looks like she's really enjoying herself as well, which just makes me happy. She's not always the most effusive person, but, you know, when you, you see her cuddling koalas and kangaroos on her Instagram, it feels like she's she's having a really nice time. She's obviously got a really good relationship with Lucy Bronze, which I think is is great. You know, like, Lucy Bronze is someone who's done it at the highest level for an incredibly long period of time, England's most experienced player in the squad. Um, so someone I really think she'll benefit from playing playing with and also, you know, interacting with off the pitch. Um, I agree, Jess, I think I think could have a good tournament as well. I hope she gets that, that starting slot. I, I think she will, and that will have been um, an amazing you know, almost progression for her to, to get to that point. I've still got a really, like, Chelsea-biased lineup, which I kind of think won't happen because Lucy Bronze will start no matter what. But I've been saying that we should be doing Carter at right-back, Millie Bright and Alex Greenwood at centre-back with Neve at left-back. It won't happen, but I just think it could be fun. Um, so I'm just putting that out there in case England do badly, that that's the defence I would have played, Serena. Um... England have an interesting group, I think. They have Haiti, China and Denmark featuring she who shall not be named, Penilla Harder. Uh, of the three, Abdullah, I think it's only actually not even of the three, of the 69 players that England can face in this group. Harder might be the, the main one I'm worried about. Um, do you think Denmark are the only team who can sort of really threaten England topping this group? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, without being disrespectful to the other two, I really do think that uh, that, that, that Denmark really have the best team and Penilla Harder is obviously up there. You've got Penilla Harder, you know, Catherine Cool, Signe Bruin. So, I mean, they, they've, they've got some decent players in, in that side. I think, I think China will be fun. I, I don't know what will happen. I just, I think it's just a complete wild card with China that could do well. I mean, I, I don't know if um, it was, it was, there was that, that was, I don't remember the player's name, but she scored that wonder goal uh, a few days ago. There's this video going around on social media about that Chinese goal that was scored just from outside the box. That was, that was really, really good. Um, but, you know, I think, I think it's just all about Denmark and England going through and, and then we see what happens from there. Yeah, definitely. I think I think England I think England will top the group and then yeah, maybe between Denmark and, and China to see Denmark I think we're really disappointing at the Euros, but I just feel like Harder seems like she's in such good form right now. Um she could have a really, really good tournament. Oh that oh jeez, what happened to the outro from Jesse? That's right. It's producer Jake here to say that we have another stop on the London is blue Chelsea FC summer tour in the USA to cover. 
this time. It's the Philly Blues, you know, Philadelphia. Anyways, Mick sat down with their chapter leaders to hear everything about what's going on in Philadelphia during the Chelsea stop there, what you can expect, where you can see us, the one that is Blue Podcast, who you can see us with, and um, yeah, how to get to the game. They talked about all kinds of stuff. Take a listen. I'm going to throw it to Nick, and then we'll be back for the real outro. All right, welcome back, uh, Chelsea fans, to the summer tour series. That is right. This time, uh, we are going to uh, chat with our friends at the Philly Blues. Uh, we have Jake and Barat uh, here from from the chapter, and uh, and look, gentlemen, uh, really excited to to come to your town. It's my first time uh, myself ever being in Philly and getting to explore the city, so I'm very excited to uh, to join up. But um, of course, we have to do a little bit of introduction uh, to who you guys are and what you do. And so I'm coming to you uh, first here, Barat. Who are you? What do you do for the chapter? And, and maybe kind of explain who the Philly Blues are as, as a unit. Yeah, happy to. And uh, Nick, we're looking forward to hosting you and many other Chelsea fans here in a few weeks in, in Philly. So, uh, yeah, my name is Barat Rompersad. I'm the uh, secretary of the Philly Blues. I've, I founded the group back uh, 13 years ago now. Um and in terms of responsibilities, I get to do a bunch of fun stuff like managing ticket requests, uh, <laughs> run the group's finances, uh, get to manage our contact list, get to play a little bit of psychologist along with Jake when results don't go our way. Um, so a little bit of everything, is, as you probably know, that comes along with uh, running a supporters group for Chelsea. Jake? Yeah. Hi, my name's uh, Michael Jacob, but uh, everybody does call me Jake. So uh, we get that out of there. Uh, yeah. So with uh, with the, the group I do, I'm actually the, the vice uh, vice secretary and I help manage a lot of the day to day um, operations at the pub, meet and greet new people, get them to sign up to the list and you know membership list and whatnot. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, look, you guys are, are a well-known uh, chapter supporters group uh, across across the country. Brock, can you explain a little bit about the origins of the Philly Blues and kind of how you guys came to be and and kind of what the spirit of the group is? Yeah, yeah, happy to. So, so look, you know, Philly has a long history following soccer, as you may well know, right? So there have been Chelsea fans that have been getting together more on an informal basis for a couple of decades here in Philly at various different pubs. Um, you know, I, I started following Chelsea in the early 2000s. I would travel over to to visit a family friend pretty regularly in Wimbledon uh, with my dad and my brother. And, uh, you know, my brother and I would start going to Stanford Bridge from Wimbledon, which is obviously very close to, to, to the stadium. And so I think the first match I went to was mid-2000s. Lampard scored the only goal in a 1-0 win over Portsmouth, and I was sort of hooked after that. Now, at that time in Philly, as I said, there wasn't really an official supporters group. Uh, the pub that we still use today, which hopefully we'll see many of your listeners in uh, in a few weeks, is called Chernanog. Um, I would go there pretty much every week to watch matches, and it would be me and literally one other friend of mine who's since now moved to Kuwait. Um, and it was the two of us, right, for a while. And then you know, my brother started to come along, a couple of their good friends, Jake and I met at some point. And so we started building this sort of informal network. But what really pushed us to formally organize as a supporters club was, uh, I think it was 2007, 2008 timeframe, I was up in New York City. And I had heard about Nevada Smiths as being sort of the mecca for watching soccer at that time in the city. Um, so I told my, my well, my, my, my girlfriend at the time, but now wife, 
hey, let's go down and I'd like to watch this match down there. And Chelsea was playing Liverpool and this was in the height of that rivalry back when we were playing them every year in European competitions. And, um, you know, it was a big match uh, and the place was packed, right? It was the polar opposite of how Ternodog was back at that time, right? And literally, you know, could not move in there, right? And somehow me not realizing how early I needed to get to the pub, you know, we get stuck by the door, which was the side of the pub where all the freaking Liverpool fans were standing right so I'm stuck there the whole match but everything worked out well Chelsea won and after the match I'm walking over to the restroom and this gentleman walked out of the restroom in a Chelsea jersey um, and fortunately my wife you know was at the other side of the pub so didn't see this but we caught eyes and without saying a word <laughs> to each other we just spontaneously gave each other a hug right said nothing I went into the restroom he went over back to the bar you know, an hour later, we're both at the bar and I went up and introduced myself. And it turns out uh, the gentleman was named Mike Neat, who ran the New York Blues, you know, at that time and for a number of years. And, uh, you know, and Mike, uh, we were sharing backgrounds and he had mentioned how, you know, he'd love to help Philly get organized. He's, you know, he knows a lot of the folks down there, but he struggled to find anybody that would take the reins. And, and after probably a year or two of courtship slash Mike sort of forcing me to do it. Uh, you know, he did convince me and helped guide us through that process. So the real origins of the Philly Blues, you know, has a healthy assist from Mike and the New York Blues. So we will always be, you know, fans of theirs that are always welcome in Philly, um, you know, and they really helped push us to organize as a supporters group. And, um, you know, it's been tremendous to see the growth of the chapter, you know, since that time when it was me and my friend from Kuwait. Um, and Jake can probably talk to you a little bit about, you know, our membership today and, you know, how, how match days tend to go today at Turn and O, which is very, very different from back 15 years ago. Yeah, to what Brock was talking about, the, the game day experience. Um, it's unfortunate what happened with the pandemic because at the beginning of that 2019 season, uh, the United game, right? That was the first game of the season. We lost 4-1. Yeah. The, the pub was packed from, you know, front to back. I have this amazing photo that used to be on our Twitter page as one of our banner ads. And uh, it was like outrageous, just like people lined up the whole way. And then, of course, COVID hit and the Tier de Nog was actually, you know, shut down for a temporary uh, point of time, too. So, yeah, but it's since the since the pandemic's end, you know, kind of things up and up here in Philly, uh, the crowds have been, yeah, they've been really good. Yeah. I mean, how many how many members are we talking about, roughly? So right now uh, on our email list, we're at somewhere, like, like we say, like four, 400, 500, 600, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Yep, just around 600. 600, yeah, and then about 150 uh, due-paying members uh, for the Chelsea membership. Awesome. I, I guess there's a lot of reasons to join a supporters club, Brat, but you guys actually uh, are doing a lot of charity work as well. You know, you're making this a more well-rounded experience for, for your members. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired that and, and how you guys uh, execute you know, that sort of thing on a, on a yearly basis? Yeah. So, so like, I mean, it, it, it took a while, right. For the group to grow to the point where we could support some charity efforts, but, you know, we've been very fortunate to be able to do that more recently. Um, and we do support a combination of some local charities as well as some things overseas as well. So for instance, right. Paul Canneville, who I know, who I know is a good friend of your podcast as well. Um, you know, he was first in Philly 10 or so years ago, um, has supported the Philly blues over the years and so we will, you know, try to, to support his uh, foundation, which is, as many people may know, you know, targeted at, at giving disadvantaged youths in the UK opportunities yeah. to train and, and play football. 
Um, and then locally, one of the organizations we're really excited to partner with is called the SWAG, which, um, you know, similar to Paul's foundation, right, gives free training opportunities to Philly area African Americans and other immigrant youths age four to eight. And, uh, you know, former client of mine is, is one of the founders of that organization and it's done in partnership with uh, our local MLS team, the Philly Union. Um, so for those that will be in Philly uh, in a few weeks, you know, please feel free to stop by Ternanog because, uh, you know, a portion of, of the Philly Blues memorabilia that we will have on sale will, you know, will go to help us support these initiatives. Awesome. Uh, it's a perfect segue, right? Because we're we're getting close to all of the events uh, that, that will happen on the 21st and 22nd of, of July uh, in your wonderful city. Uh, Brad, can you take us through, uh, you know, day by day, kind of what folks who are coming in from out of town who are not regular members uh, can and should expect and, and spare no detail? Sure, sure. So, you know, look, we're, we're fortunate that, um, you know, our match in Philadelphia, you know, is, is falling on a Saturday evening. So uh, Friday night, we'll be starting with a happy hour at, at 5 p.m. And, and then we have this, uh, what I hear is a wonderful podcast called London is Blue broadcasting live uh, around 7 p.m. And I'm sure following that, it will sort of continue into more uh, happy hour, you know, late into the evening on Friday. Um, Saturday afternoon, uh, we have Neil Barnett of Sirius XM Radio and, you know, longtime former Chelsea insider um, at our pub. And he is hosting a, a, a talk that he has uh, uh, titled How the Bleep Did We End Up Here, um, which will be at one o'clock. And, you know, there'll be a Q&A following that. Um, and after that, we'll do another happy hour from three to five. Uh, the match, as many of you may know, is 7 p.m. down at Lincoln Financial Field. Um, so we'll probably start to wrap things up around five at the pub for those traveling to the match. Um, and then you guessed it, another sort of Chelsea get together supporters happy hour at the pub following that on Saturday evening. And, you know, we'll round out the weekend for those that are still in town, uh, with another meet and greet on Sunday afternoon with Neil Barnett, uh, from two to 5 PM. Um, so all these events will be hosted at the pub. I mentioned earlier, Tiernanog, which is located at 1600 Arch Street. It's a couple blocks from City Hall. So it's very centrally located in Center City, Philadelphia. Um, but then, look, given the volume of, of Chelsea fans, we expect to be in the Philly area. Uh, we've also partnered with a couple of good friends at other pubs locally as well. Um, so those are Kavanaugh's Rittenhouse, Con Murphy's and Fado. Um, and all of those pubs are within a five to ten minute walk. Uh, of Kiernanog as well. So if you don't um, get it, you know the opportunity to meet with us at Kiernanog, feel free to attend one of those other pubs and there should be a good congregation of Chelsea supporters there as well. Jake, let's talk a little bit about logistics. What do the, what do the people need to know to kind of get here and there and, and everywhere if they aren't from the city? Yeah, so that's a, a good point. Um, logistically in Philadelphia, the easiest way to get to the stadiums from our pub is going to be SEPTA. It's going to be the subway. So that is what we uh, call the, uh, the the Broad Street Line. So that travels north and south down the city. Um, on our Facebook page, um, we can blast that out. We have an actual uh, PDF download. So if you're outside of town, we have specific instructions from Lincoln Financial Field that you can link to that can tell you about potentially where you could park if you're going to be actually driving to the stadium uh, and also areas of like if you need to take a train in from, let's say, you know, uh, New Jersey, or if you're coming out from the suburbs. So all that information is on our Facebook page, quick link to there. Um, but like I said, the easiest way, if you're going to travel coming right from the pub is a, probably a two block walk to the subway. 
get a pass, just take it right down the stadium. And within, if you catch an express, you could be down there 30 minutes. If the local, maybe 45. So, yeah. So, so people should leave a couple hours early if they want to get there for all the festivities and such. Yeah, exactly. So what we've said, like, you know, we're kind of shut, shutting things down probably around 5 PM. Um, just so that gives you enough time to get down there. Um, security at the link has been pretty good. They have been like, you know, over the last couple of years with Eagles games, people, the, the queue to get in has been managed much better, but you know, just to be careful, I would tell people, you know, plan on being there at least a half hour or 40 minutes prior to that. Um, you know, and also, you know, there's a lot of cool areas down there too. They have this thing called Xfinity live where you can grab a beer, get a bite to eat before you go into the stadium too. And that's right across the street from, from the actual Lincoln financial field itself. So yeah, about at least I'd say about a half hour, 45 minutes to, give yourself a chance of getting in there and, you know, seeing all the players warm up. Are there any like watch outs or lookouts that you would have uh, Jake for, for I guess the two or three days that folks are going to be in town, uh, things that, you know, they should know and, and be prepared for. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Philadelphia, um, you know, it has, has a, uh, a, you know, a decent amount of, you know, uh, publicity recently because of, you know, certain crime issues and whatnot, but in and around the stadium, you probably have no issues. Um, Subway at city hall, very, very safe. You know, I would just say, you know, just be careful walking around, you know, in a large city, regardless, you know, always have your head on a swivel. Just be, you know, be mindful of your situations. Absolutely. Um, what, what are you guys looking forward to most about this experience? I mean, it's going to be a hell of a weekend. You guys do have the uh, the best timing of all the matches on the Saturday. Uh, Brad, I'll come I'll come to you. What, what are you most looking forward to with the, with the whole experience? Yeah, to, to be honest, Nick, it's uh, I don't know how to react to that question just because I think 10 years ago, right, I, I would have given you, you know, hey, love to get one last look at, at Lampard and Terry before they move on. Five years ago, probably would have said the same thing about Hazard. Um, now, it's it's honestly, it's probably to just see who and what Chelsea is as a club, given, you know, this unprecedented level of change, right, that's occurred over the last year or year and a half. Um, you know, and if I can go on a little bit of a Sidebar, you know, I joke with my 12-year-old daughter, right, about this uh, Greek sort of philosophical quandary called the ship of Theseus. And I'm, I'm sure I will butcher the details, but it's basically, um, you know, a story about this famous ancient ship that the Greeks used. And over time, they sought to preserve it, right, because it was involved in all these famous battles, right? But over time, literally every piece of the ship was replaced. And so the philosophers in Greece would say, hey, well, if literally everything has been changed, is it still the ship of Theseus? And I, I kind of feel like that's where we are with Chelsea, right? If, you know, the entire playing staff has turned over, um, all the non-football departments down to the, you know, the folks cutting the grass, right, have been, have been changed over. So I'd really looking forward to just seeing, hey, what is Chelsea? What is this new Chelsea about? And, you know, I was encouraged to hear in uh, Pochettino's initial press conference, him refer to sort of the Chelsea philosophy as being winning, right? Because if I think about Chelsea of the last 20 years, right, I think um, while a lot, of, a lot of football clubs talk about this DNA and a playing style and this and that, hey, to me, the, the Chelsea DNA was winning, right? And, and I think a lot of us as Chelsea supporters were perfectly happy with that. Um, so, you know, look, I, at one level, I'm, I'm worried maybe that DNA has been stripped away from the club, but at the same time, I you know, certainly willing to give, uh, these changes and the new ownership and their philosophy, the benefit of a doubt and, uh, to bring it back to the ship of Theseus, right? Maybe there is something inherent in Chelsea now, right? Where despite the change, we will continue on winning, right? And, 
you know, and hopefully last season was a little bit of an aberration. So yeah, look, long, long, long winded answer, but I guess somehow some way my answer to what I'm looking forward to most about the Brighton friendly is also linked up with this Greek thought experiment from centuries ago. Well, we haven't had Greek philosophy on the show before, so well done. <laughs> you're, you're the first brought well done. Um, Jake, I have to follow you? that. Yeah. yeah. You, you, I hope you <laughs> yeah. have some Greek philosophy ready. <laughs> no, <laughs> not off the top of my head. Um, actually, you know, um, the thing that I'm really looking forward to the most is actually getting to see old friends from different chapters that I haven't seen in over a year. So like, you know, Brought talked about Mike neat, you know, I, the last time I saw neat was down in Charlotte. He's an awesome dude. I go way, way back with him. So, you know, Brat was talking, there was a loose group of guys that used to meet up and, and watch the, the Chelsea matches. Uh, I was actually part of that group in like 99. So, you know, like those guys, it's always a good time to hang out with them, catch up with old guys I haven't seen in a long time. So yeah, just kind of, we can own some friendships again, get to see old people. Um, all right. You got to help people out who are, who are not from there. And this is myself included in this group food. I, yes. I love it. It's part of the reason why I love traveling is to, to eat the local cuisine. Uh, you can only pick one cheesesteak and then two other places a piece. So <laughs> it can't, can't be three cheesesteaks, obviously. But, yeah. uh, but Jake, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, three places, whether whether it's the most famous thing in the world or something off the beaten path that people from out of town should definitely try. Well, so if we're going to start with the cheesesteak thing first, for me, it's Delisandros, which is slightly it's in town, but it's slightly outside of Center City. For me, that's they're the best. Um, and then for two other places, um, you know, if anybody is going to be in town, you definitely need to check out the Reading Terminal Market. Um, Reading Terminal Market is one of the oldest market street market areas in, in, in the United States. And honestly, you can just walk around there for like a day and just like just smell yep. smells. It's amazing. Like inside of there, there's a place called Denix Roast Beef. The roast beef's really good, but the pulled pork is is where it's at. So the pulled pork with the sharp provolone. There you go. And then, you know, honestly, to, to kind of throw back and you know what we kind of talked about before, um, Cavanaugh's, uh, which is the place that actually housed us during the uh, pandemic. They are a really interesting bar. So they're in the middle of Rittenhouse, which is like one of the more like fanciest neighborhoods in Philadelphia. But they're, they, the original place was a just perfect sports dive bar. Now they're in a new facility that's real modern and, you know, looks awesome. But like it's the perfect atmosphere to go watch a game, eat really good food, and the TVs are, are amazing. So got to give some love right. to Cavanaugh's. All right. I love that. Brad, what about you? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a different cheesesteak answer, which is probably the more traditional one, which is Pat's. Right. And I think, uh, it, you know, that, look, there's a lot of arguments amongst silly natives around what the best cheesesteak is. But I also think if you're coming in from out of town, you can't go wrong yeah. uh, to go down to the Italian market and grab Pat's. And as, as many people may know, Gino's is across the street. So if you really wanted to fill yourself up. You could do both. Double, uh, double very feature. Easily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then look, they, just, just as Jake was talking about the Reading Terminal market, I think the Italian market, right. Which, which a lot of folks have seen, you know, in uh, one of the 17 Rocky movies, right. <laughs> there is a lot down there, right. So in addition to Pat's and Gino's, another recommendation I'd have is you've got Termini and Isgro, which are two Italian bakeries, which are sort of South Philly institutions. So if you're looking for, you know, a taste of Philly, you can't go wrong by going down to the Italian market because you can cross off cheesesteaks. You can get some. Uh, and there's a number of other great restaurants in that area. Um, you know, and then the third, I, I would say, is, is a place that's a favorite of both Jake and myself, which is a little neighborhood spot near the art museum uh, or the Fairmount 
part of the city called Macrossan's Cavern. And, uh, you know, Jake and I have uh, probably spent far, far too much of our <laughs> youth uh, in that establishment. But, you know, wonder, owned by a wonderful family that we've both gotten to know really well. Uh, great beer list, great wine list. And, you know, I think I would argue the best burger and, you know, easily the best wings that I think you'll find in, in Philly. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Well, to wrap this one up, guys, and I appreciate you joining the show, obviously. Very much looking forward to, to seeing you in uh, a little little over a week now. It's, uh, we're getting close. Um, one thing that you hope people leave the Philly experience with, um, and this, this could be great times, good oldies, or whatever you want to say, but uh, I'll start with you, Jake. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I love the fact that, you know, Chelsea's kind of set the home base as Philadelphia, um, you know, city of brotherly love. So, you know, if I'm going to be, you know, quite honest, it's, you know, just come in, have a good time, and everyone, you know, leave becoming friends, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I would say very similar. I, I think, as Jake mentioned earlier, I think this is a great opportunity for Chelsea fans locally and throughout the country and even abroad, right, just to reconnect and share in that camaraderie and spirit. Really, that's why we, you know, we founded this group officially, and it's been tremendous to see that growth and make connections, uh, friendships. Um, so, you know, for anybody visiting the area, please come see us uh, at Tirdenog or one of the other pubs that we've partnered with. Um, you know, please look us up on social media and, and send us a message if you're going to be uh, in attendance. And, you know, we hope you'll have a wonderful experience with us in Philly. Uh, we hope we'll get a good result at the match. And, you know, we hope everybody also gets a chance to experience Philadelphia because, you know, folks like Jake and I that are that grew up in the area, we are, uh, you know, we are all Philly supporters. Awesome. Well, look, very much excited to uh, to join you guys. Uh, appreciate all the uh, hospitality thus far. Very excited to have a drink with you. And uh, look, guys, we'll see you in Philly very, very soon. All right. Fantastic coverage from Nick. Our man on the ground, sort of. Our man in the Zoom calls. Getting all the deets that we need for the summer tour to send to y'all to get us meeting up with you guys. Doing a great job. Uh, I won't be at that one. So if you get the North Carolina stop, you get the producer Jake stop. That's how it goes. But uh, anyways, I'm not important. Sorry. What is important, though, is if you're listening to this episode here, that probably means that you don't listen to the, the Blue Royalty podcast on the Blue Royalty feed. So I don't know. Maybe you stepped away when this happened, but Blue Royalty has their own podcast feed now. Jesse and Abdullah cover the women's team on their feed. You can look it up. Blue Royalty. London is blue. It'll pop up. So if you're listening here, maybe you're a double listener. That's crazy. If you did that, if you did that, DM me. And I don't know. I'll send you a cookie somehow. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you haven't already subscribed to their feed, please do it right now. Like, do it literally, if, unless you're driving or something. But this is my call to action because we've been putting these on here and people are still listening to them a lot. So, you know, go, if you're listening to it here and you're not listening there, what are you doing? Go, go subscribe to them, please. All right, cool. Thanks. Back to Jesse with their outro. I interrupted them earlier, so let's let's get this one out of here. But, okay, that wraps up our Chelsea-based preview for groups A to D. Um, let us know who you think is going to shine, hopefully. Lots of Chelsea content, at least in the group stages, and, and I think hopefully we'll see a few familiar faces in the latter stages as well. We will be back later in the week with the second half of these groups, so four more groups to come. Plenty more players to come as well to discuss how their tournaments might go. But until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.